Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the breakthrough success coach and your powerful presence mentor. Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. I'm your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the exponential success coach. Sounds easy for me to say, the exponential success coach and the president of Dynamic Leader, Inc. Uh, I am so excited to bring on my guest today. Met him over LinkedIn, got to talking with him, and we arranged a uh, a Zoom call to meet each other. And in talking more with him, I'm like, oh, my goodness, we need, we need to get you on my podcast. And the silly man said yes. So, um, no, he's he's amazing. Uh, my guest is an attorney, a mediator. I'm reading. If you can see me looking down, I'm reading from my notes. Attorney, mediator, negotiator, a leadership coach, a blogger, an author, a speaker, and a peacemaker. And we're going to talk about uh, how to get to that place. Uh, I really want to start with what that means. So without with, without going on and on, I'm, let me bring on Doug Knoll. Welcome. Thanks, Wayne. It's great to be here. We had an amazing conversation, so I hope that we'll continue it today. <laughs> I, I am certain of it. Uh, I am certain of it, actually. It's great. Let's talk. Can we jump right in? Usually what I do with my guests is I'm like, well, you know, you didn't wake up as an attorney and then you didn't get into mediation like you didn't know when you were a child that you wanted to be a mediator um where'd you grow up and all that stuff i want to get to your background in a moment first i'm going to do something different in terms of my own formatting i want to jump right in and ask you about your specialty which is leadership level listening like what can you just describe that let's get right into that leadership level listening is a big skill and I, I would love for you to describe it and just talk a little bit about how you use that sure so the way i have figured this out is there there is type one listening and there is type two listening most of us engage in type one listening which is listener focused and so as leaders, we're interested in getting information from other people so that we can make decisions uh, and basically execute strategic plans and tactical plans. But the listing is always focused on me, the listener. And when I, if I'm listening to you, Wayne, I'm not interested in who you are or what you're doing. I'm really interested in what's the data. Give me the information. Tell me what's going on. Give me an update. It's always me, 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 me. And in everyday conversation, we all engage in type one listening because we're really only interested in what we're saying and don't have a lot of interest in what the other person is saying. And this is the way that we all learned how to listen. It's what was modeled to us by our parents. It's what we see in the media. And it's how we engage with each other. And type one listening, of course, has its place. However, there is a different kind of listening that is much more powerful. And I call this type two listening. In type two listening, the, the focus is on the speaker, not on the listener. And the goal of type two listening 
is to make sure that the speaker feels heard from the speaker's frame of reference. And so as a listener, I have no agenda other than to be present for the speaker and make sure the speaker feels heard. Why is this important? Neuroscience shows, neuroscan, brain scanning studies show that when we engage in deep type two listening, specifically a form of listening called affect labeling, the emotional centers of the brain are diminished. And at the same time, the right ventral lateral prefrontal cortex is activated. This happens automatically and unconsciously in every human brain. And the, and the result is that if we engage in deep type two listening, we can deal with any emotional person, anger, grief, abandonment, upset, it doesn't matter. We can engage with this person and calm them down in less than 90 seconds. Now, why this is important as a foundational skill for leaders is that in today's environment, people don't come to work for a paycheck. They come to work for meaning. They want to create meaning in their lives. They want to be part of a team that is doing something that has value. And it's the lead, in my opinion, I take this from Ron Heifetz at Harvard. The leader has three psychological um, directives for every team. Provide focus, direction, and provide safety. Most leaders get the focus and direction part. They don't have a clue about the safety part. What Google has shown in one of its groundbreaking studies several years ago is that the top one, top, top one tenth of 1% of their high performing teams were radically different than all the other teams because on those teams, there was emotional safety. And subsequent research has shown that teams that have emotional safety outperform all other teams by orders of magnitude on any measure of performance. Can you define that? What, what, you know, because what's safe for one person is going to be different for another. And uh, obviously I'm going to, I'm creating a great segue, aren't I? Cause that brings us back to, that's what type two listening is about. Right. right? Type two listening is about creating among, among many other things. It's about creating emotional safety. So emotional safety. On an individual basis. On an individual and on a group basis. Well, what's safe for one person in a group, is it going to be safe for the entire group? If it's done correctly, yes. Awesome. Because what, what we're doing is is by by validating the emotional experience of either the group, because you can you can do this to a group as a as a group of people, or to an individual. You are you are calming, you're creating a calming effect that cr- creates a sense of, oh, I really feel heard. I feel deeply validated. And people literally exhale a sigh of relief. There's a reflexive relaxation response that happens. And when they get to that place, instant trust is built, loyalty is built, and people feel like they're in the presence of someone that they would do anything to follow. Do you also reference Moravian's work on likability? I do, but I I don't find that to be as, I find that to be secondary. If okay. you engage in this basic foundational skill, you will you will become likable automatically. Okay. All Just the- for reference, Morabian was a researcher out of UCLA, 
A lot of people misquote his work as being all about communication. It's about likability in communication. It says basically that 7% of what we communicate is in our words. Uh, 38 is in our tonality. And 55 is in our body language. Um, There's a lot of science that supports that, as it turns out. Oh, yes. I mean, obviously, I mean, he did this back in the 60s. So there's been decades of research on top of it that's piled on. Uh, I just wondered how you use that or don't use that. I only only point out Ms. Rabian's work when I'm teaching, when I'm coaching and teaching leaders how to do this, to point out that our our culture overemphasizes the importance of words in type one listening. Mm. Or engage in type two listening. The, the the first step is to ignore the words. Don't even listen to what they're saying. So this is interesting because you talked about um, the prefrontal cortex, which is really amazing because as humans, we're fortunate to have that. It doesn't show up in a lot of order, uh, organisms. Right. Um, so we are able to plan and sequence and also filter. That's what our frontal lobes do. And also like filter for affect. That's right. So we are scanning to see what does this person mean, which is why texts and emojis may or may not work for us. We can only do that as long as we're calm. Oh, very good. The well moment, said. The moment we become emotionally reactive, the prefrontal cortex shuts down. And so and, and so the problem that we have as humans is we we for 4000 years we've been taught that what makes us human is our ability to reason or rationality and that turns out to be a complete myth. What neuroscientists all agree on today is that we are 100% emotional beings. Every decision we make is emotional. And we are able to apply critical thinking skills and reasoning and rationality and all these other task-focused skills that are very useful and powerful. But that's not who we are. We have the ability to use these tools, but fundamentally we're emotional beings. And so if the prefrontal cortex goes offline, we no longer have the ability to think or reason or rationalize anything. We can't do anything. So that's why this foundational skill of listening to emotions becomes so powerful. Imagine, yeah. imagine you're a leader and you're in a dysfunctional meeting. You've got some people who are standing up making noise. That meeting is going is gone to heck unless you can pinpoint on the people who are upset and get them calmed down in the next 30 seconds. Nice. Uh, are, let me ask you, can you be enjoying a situation or irritated by a situation and still not be hijacked because right. The amygdala comes in as well. There's an amygdala hijack. That's like, right. Go and talk about it. He he created that phrase, the amygdala hijack. Who did that? Daniel Goleman. Right. That's, that's right. Um, That's exactly right. Uh, uh, This is, this is fun. So can you be in a state of calm and in a state of enjoyment um, or a state of irritation can both exist before you start to shut down the the ability to recognize others' emotions. Sort of, because <laughs> right. I think here's the thing: I think you and I were both doing that uh, just prior to and and at the introduction of this call. That that it's like we were in a really playful state with each other, 
And um, and we also were recognizing each other. We could tell what what the other was feeling. So so the specific answer is in order to in order to engage in type two listening, affect labeling at the deep level, affect labeling, you have to be in a, a fairly calm place yourself. This is why I teach ignore the words so that you don't get triggered. However, if you do feel annoyed or you are getting angry, in order to stop that amygdala hijack, as Coleman calls it, you self-affect label yourself. You would say to yourself, I'm really frustrated. This guy's just a jerk. He's jerking my chain. I'm really pissed off. I'm really frustrated. I feel ignored. I don't feel heard. And now, as soon as you start saying that, you'll start to calm yourself down. Very good. And then now we make the decision, all right, I've got to deal with this person and I've got to get them calmed down. So I'll drop into my, you, you learn, when you learn the skill, you learn, you drop in and you look and I say, Wayne and Dr. P, you are really pissed off. You're frustrated. You're angry. You're really, you feel completely disrespected. You feel ignored. Nobody's listening to you. And you feel completely unappreciated and unsupported. And you feel anxious and concerned and worried. You're feeling a little embarrassed about it all. And you know, yeah, deep down inside, you're sad and you're distressed and you're upset. And sometimes you feel despair because you feel at times completely abandoned and rejected. And there are times when you feel completely worthless and unloved. And the whole thing's just pissing you off. Boom. Is that a is that a standard script you use or is that there is a standard script? Okay. Uh, I, I what I have learned is that emotions come in seven layers. Okay. And basically going from least invasive to most invasive, it's anger, uh, uh, disrespect, fear, uh, disgust, uh, shame, sadness, and abandonment. And each one of those words has, there. Are, I've, I've determined that there are between six and nine words that describe the basic that this emotion on a continuum so for example with anger frustration irritation annoyance but you could also be enraged and so what we want to do is build a vocabulary of emotions that are along the continuum of the basic classification lisa feldman barrett at northeastern university calls this developing emotional granularity and people with high granularity have high emotional intelligence. The um, And so what I teach is I teach people how to become emotionally granular. And I teach them this matrix of emotions. It's all they need because the, actually the repertoire of human behavior is very small. It's very limited. And once you begin to recognize the patterns, you'll see them over and over and over and over again. And it doesn't take much then after, after that to be able to reflect the emotional experience that somebody is having. So yes, it is a, in a, in a sense it is a script. I'm uh, I love this on many levels. Uh, first of all, when you did that, when you just rolled that out, right? You sounded uh, and looked a whole lot like Chris Voss. I discovered this all of this ten years before he even conceived of this. Yeah, and I read his book. I've never met the man. I've met him and I've talked to him and. Based- Based on my reading, I, I find that he has got a pretty unsophisticated system compared to what I do, frankly. 
It, yeah, it's interesting. So I've met him. I appreciate him. I appreciate his son, the black That's swan, the whole bit. Yeah. Um, and I just, uh, you know, he. what I do appreciate also is that he was able to bring it out in public, right? right. That because he was an FBI negotiator. Right. He, got the, got, he got a great you've, you've got a... Uh, it is a granularity like you've got a, a way of diving in of uh, uh, the reason i pointed that out is that you sounded a whole lot like him it's not a competition doug <laughs> no i don't think it that way i mean I, I discovered this in 2005 yeah i don't know how long ago he was doing his uh fbi negotiating Look, I think what, what i'm what i'm saying is that the tonality went to this place of um there's an, there's a tone of empathy and then there's a pacing that is, you're feeling this, you're feeling that. Affect labeling is a real thing. And so to be able to say, you're feeling this, you're feeling that. Um, at what point do you put in a pause for the other person to say, well, no, it's not exactly that. It's more, it's not anger, it's frustration. Good question. The What you do, what, I'm, what I train people to do is to get people to start talking. What's going on? Open-ended question. And then you start labeling the emotional experiences as you witness them, as you read the emotions. You start labeling. And then you'll pause. You'll watch for a reaction. Typically, you'll get people stop. You'll see them actually process what you're saying. You pause, let them talk some more, and then label those emotions. And you continue with the process until you get four involuntary reflexive relaxation responses. Nodding of the head, a verbal response like exactly or yes dropping of the shoulders, and a sigh of relief. And when you get to that point, you have calmed that person down. And now you can engage in problem solving. It's fascinating. Um, I want you to do that again. It's head nod and what else? Head nod, verbal response, dropping of the shoulders, sigh of relief. Perfect. You are listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. Wayne Purnell. You know you are bigger than the life you are leading. It really is time to attend to that thing you've wanted to do or have, but you've been putting off. It's time to step into that dream you've parked for someday. It's time to claim true well-being, both personally and professionally, without giving up the success that got you here. It's time to check out Dr. Purnell's signature small group retreat, the Exponential Success Summit. Explore ExponentialSuccessSummit.com. Seats are extremely limited as this is a very special small group event. www.ExponentialSuccessSummit.com. It's interesting. The I just I want to go back just in case any of our listeners may not even know what an what an uh an open-ended question is you know just like back to basics it's That's you true. and i take it for granted and 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 i think it's you know i was just teaching this on friday in front of a, a pretty large group and I, I i think it's really important to bring it back to what is that open-ended questions you're asking for somebody to tell a story what happened next what's going on um, you don't ask the question you don't ask, how are you feeling? Are you angry? 
you don't ask those kinds of questions for a lot of different reasons. Um, you just ask people to start talking. What's going on? Yeah. So the the key here is that it's an open-ended question by definition is something that cannot be answered with a yes or a no. Correct. Or, or a grunt. And uh, remember, remember, we're in type two listening where the focus is on the speaker's frame of reference. So I want the speaker to speak. Yeah. So that I can reflect back from the speaker's frame of reference. So it's not about me. Just for an example, I want to put this out there. You know, the there's a difference. And this works, you know, for couples, for parents to children, um, even for leaders with their team members. And the there's a difference between, hey, did you have a great weekend or did you have a good day, which gives you a yes, no, or grunt, versus, hey, what was the best part of your day? There you go. And that's, you know, what asking a what or how question is what gets you to an open-ended question. So the the very basics of all of this, you're asking, as you say, Doug, you're asking for them to tell a story. What was the best part of your day? Exactly. It's it's so different from, did you have a good day? Uh. <laughs> right. Like, right. What was the best part of your day? Gosh, let me think. Right. right. Now we're engaged and you don't need the data, which I love that that's what type one is that give me the data. I'll make a decision. Right. It's All give me who you are. And that brings me closer to you. That's right. I love that. It's so good. So and good. and uh, I would even avoid a what question. What was would the you? best part of your day? Instead, try this. Tell me about the best part of your day. So it's a it's more of a command. No, you can make it a question. Tell me about the best part of your day. All right. Upward inflection at the end. That's it. Exactly correct. All right. Cool. That's that's great. All right. So now that we know like your your magic and what's in the box, we'll come back to this. Uh, let's talk about how you got here. You woke up one day and you're like, your parents are fighting and you said, there must be a better way. No, no I have no idea. I I'm, making all, I'm making all that up. <laughs> I have no idea. All right. Here's my backstory. I grew up in Southern California in affluence, uh, a place called San Marino, which is in Pasadena, the San Gabriel Valley. Went to Dartmouth College. Uh, in those days, if you didn't go to med school, you went to law school. So I came back to California and went to law school. Uh, did well in law school academically, had a lot of job offers in California, decided that I didn't want to live in San Francisco or Los Angeles. So I moved to Central California and for the first year worked for a judge, clerked as a law clerk. And then after that, in 78, entered private practice with a law firm in Fresno, California that was engaging in commercial litigation and bankruptcy. And they grew me to be a trial lawyer. I joined the firm in September of 78 and tried my first jury trial in October of 78. And my second, that was unheard of in those days. And then and then my second jury trial started in federal court in San Diego in December of 78, de defending a $36 million securities fraud case. That's how I started. So for the next 22 years, that's what I did. I was a hardcore trial lawyer, commercial and business litigation, complex cases, mostly federal practice. Um, so how'd you stumble into, because, you know, lawyers are trained to be shark-ish. Oh, I, was, I, was, I was the ultimate arrogant shark. Awesome. So how'd you let go of arrogance? Well, that's a long story, but let me keep continue. Yeah, please. In the 80s, I took up the martial arts. And 
on my in, in 1990 around my 40th birthday i was just before my 40th birthday i was awarded my uh secondary black belt in the northern chinese animal style uh very vicious kind of martial art are we always said we break bodies not boards and uh my teacher then told me go learn tai chi so i started studying tai chi as a martial art not as a content of the practice tai chi has two really interesting paradoxes the first is the softer you are the stronger you are isn't that amazing uh-huh and the second paradox is the more vulnerable you are the more powerful you are soft to be strong vulnerable to be powerful that's awesome. it did not compute yeah. until it did and then one day i was in a courtroom cross-examining somebody and the thought came to me what the heck am i doing in here and after that trial i was on a whitewater trip with a bunch of friends and i was spent 10 days on my raft floating through these big rapids on the main salmon and i know thinking about how many people i served as a trial lawyer and could only count five people out of hundreds of cases that i thought really came out of the system better than going in and i said i'm not going to go another 20 or 30 or 40 years and only serve 15 or 20 people that's not who i am i'm done with this the universe provides came back came back to central california i live up in the mountains up in the sierra nevada I drove down out of the mountains to my office in town and as i was driving down i heard what turned out to be the one and only public service announcement for a new master's degree program in peacemaking and conflict studies being offered at Fresno Pacific University, which is one of the West Coast Mennonite universities. The Mennonites are one of the three traditional Protestant peace churches, not a Mennonite myself. It intrigued me. And ultimately, I enrolled. And for three years, I was a full-time master's student, a three-quarters time law professor, and a full-time trial lawyer. It was pretty crazy. Uh, they completely changed my life, they being my mentors. At Fresno Pacific, at the Center for Peacemaking and Complex Studies, they completely changed everything for me, and I got a deep, deep academic schooling in the nature of human conflict, in peace, and that's when I began to study neuroscience. Uh, I stumbled across a book that mentioned—I won't go through the story—but that ultimately I got—I was introduced to John Allman, who was a, a neuroscientist at Caltech, and he tutored me. And uh, I began to understand that all peace and conflict begins in the brain. So if we want to understand human behavior, then that's where we've got to go. Because I had studied all kinds of psychology and lots of explanations, but no, nothing that really, lots of conflict, lots of, you know, there were some brilliant theorists out there, but that's all it was, was theory. And it was the neuroscience that was really pointing the way towards how we are as human beings. So. Uh, I had long discussions with my partners about what I was going to do, and we could not come to terms. Uh, they gave me an ultimatum on a Friday, and I came in on Monday to say I quit. And I walked away on that Friday, walked away from $10 million, more I'd put into the firm than I'd taken out, and just walked away and started my peacemaking practice on November 1st, 2000. And I've never looked back. Amazing. Yeah, so you're coming up on your 23-year anniversary. 24 years, yeah. So November, if it was 2000, today's, this is 23. So the yeah. 24 years. Amazing. And I've done some amazing things in the last 24 years. I bet you have. Incredible. <laughs> but you have, that's awesome. The, uh, that's so good. I, you know, uh, 
you know, I believe you know this. I'm a martial artist as well. Um, the nature of one sharp sword, the idea is right. one sharp uh -huh. sword can cut through where a thousand dull knives can't. And right. and the idea of a katana is you never draw it. You know you have it. That's exactly you never, right. You never need to draw it. That's exactly right. And I've never had to use my skills ever. Right, yeah. Um, I had just a couple of occasions. That's a different story. Um, in my training, the idea was enter when pulled, turn when pushed. There you go. Right. And so, you know, in conflict, usually there's this tug of war. I'm right. No, I'm right. No, I'm right. No, I'm more right than you are. Right. And um, that's where emotions escalate. And And what you're saying is very martial in terms of peacekeeping martial arts like uh, that if someone says that i'm right then you step in and, and go probably let's see where right so it's like let's validate that right. um and once you've taken over that center you have much more control once you've stepped into the center of that you have much more control okay. um it's fabulous it's a it's it's an amazing quest it's an amazing process um so in two, let me just continue the story a little bit yeah please i i one of the I things that reached a pause point go yeah one please. of the things that i did not have yeah is a way to calm people down and i was getting called into very intense emotional conflicts family business disputes involving hundreds of millions of dollars partnership disputes corporate disputes kinds of disputes that could not be solved through litigation because so yelling calm the f down doesn't work <laughs> it does not work and i stumbled on the idea of listening to emotions which i learned was called affect labeling in a very difficult mediation in 2005 and this was a divorce couple that had spent fifty thousand dollars fighting over an eighteen thousand dollar problem so it was a very small case uh but at the end when we were all done the husband put his face down in his hands and started sobbing and looked up at his ex-wife and said, that's the first time you've listened to me in 25 years. And they settled the case and got up and walked out. And the difference was that instead of having them tell, listen to the stories, I had them listen to each other's emotions and reflect back their emotional experience. And it was magical. Yeah. And the, that was the radical shift that I saw as a peacemaker, that, okay, I get it. I don't know what this is, but yeah. I know what it is, and I know how to do it, because I just did it. And then two years later, Matthew Lieberman and his colleagues at UCLA published the first brain scanning study, and Voss cites the same study in his book, uh, putting feeling into words, which is a brain scanning study that shows exactly what happens in the human brain when we label somebody's emotions. His study had to do with self-affect labeling, but it's just as powerful when you do third-party affect labeling. Absolutely. And now there have been a series of studies that follow-up studies after that. They've been quite powerful. And that led to my major field test of all of this, which is the Prison of Peace Project. And in 2010, my colleague Laurel Coffer and I began training 15 women in the largest, most violent women's prison in the world. Valley State for Prison for Women in, at that time in Chowchilla, California. And these women were all lifers and long-termers. And they had called us in to teach them how to be peacemakers and mediators to stop prison violence. And as we devised the curriculum for this 
program, we thought about we have one rule, and that was we take nothing into prison that doesn't work first time, every time, without failure, because lives are at stake. So the foundational skill that we taught was affect labeling, listening to emotions. And today we're in 15, we're active in 15 prisons in California, although we've been in many more prisons. We've got a prison in Connecticut, 15 prisons in Greece, and a prison in Italy. What's the, what's the buy-in? Like what, what makes a lifer violent prisoner want to say, yeah, teach me that stuff? Like, here's the thing that most people don't realize. Most violent people, most, not all. Most violent offenders hate violence. The only reason they use violence is because it's all they know. It's their only conflict resolution method they've ever learned. Murderers are not born, they're bred out of their families. And every single person that I've met that's killed another human being has a story of trauma that is absolutely unbelievable. So what happens is when we walk into these prisons, with this kind of a population and, and the posters are put up saying prison of peace, learn to be a mediator. A large number of people in the population are attracted to that idea because they truly want peace. And in fact, and, and, and at Valley State Prison for Women, that first year, we trained up these first 15 women. It, at that time, it was a 16 week program. By the time we got halfway through it, we had the, the prison was at that time was way overcrowded, 3,600 women. We had 800 women on the waiting list wanting to get into the program. Wow. Wow. That's significant. Um, and for all the right reasons. For all the right reasons. And just another thing that I like, I'm proud of is we've had over 700 of our students released from California prisons. Not one of them is reoffended. That is a huge statistic. Yeah. You've had zero recidivism. And they're all doing great work. Some of them, some of them are doing stuff like real estate. You know, all of them went back to schools, but most of them are working in social service. They're drug addiction counselors or they're mediators or they're working in working in their communities as peacemakers. What a gift. Oh, yeah. that's so good. That's so good. Wow. So that's what got me. I mean, when I saw the results that we were getting in the prisons, my students started asking me to write another book because at that time, I, my third book came out in 2013. And they said, come on, you got to write a book about this. I said, no, no, no. Finally, they put the pressure on me. And I, that's when I, I wrote Deescalate in 2016. Deescalate, how to calm an angry person in 90 seconds or less based on the prison experience. And it came out in September of 2017. Uh, and that's how that that's how the book got published. And then I got the idea. These things are so valuable in these really dark places. What would happen if we could start teaching people how to do this? Parents, leaders, schools, law enforcement, you know, wherever there's conflict. What would happen if we could start teaching people how to listen another person into existence? And then it moved from there. I evolved from there from becoming a peacemaker walking into conflict to realizing that what, I mean, if we stop, what if we could stop conflict altogether, never have another fight or argument again. That would be amazing. So that's a, that's a, a world uh, kind of goal. How to listen another person into existence. Right. This is awesome. Fritz Perls said that we are here to be witnesses in each other's lives. Right. He, he was one of the 
he was the founder of Gestalt psychology. Right. And um, uh, I love what you just said, how, how to listen another person into existence. I feel listening. If we use that at home tonight, the world is a different place tomorrow. If we could get every parent, if we could even get 20% of the parents, young parents, to learn how to listen to their children's emotions and become emotional coaches, yeah, there would be no prisons in 20 years. And the statistic I heard is that, you know, we're that prisons are are calculated based on third grade statistics. That actually there's now neuroscience that says you can brain scan a two-year-old and have a pretty good idea what's going to happen to them in in their future. Frightening. Because of there's so much development that occurs front in, in utero in the fetus, and then the first two years of life are huge term. And I'm not saying it's set in stone, but because obviously it's not, I've changed people's lives and seen people change their own lives, but the determinants are there. Yeah. And I mean, balance that against neuroplasticity. That's right. Right. And so the idea that we're not slaves to what's happened to us in the past. It's I'm saying it's not easy work. Yeah. You've been through a lot of trauma. It is really hard to get. And yet it's doable. And and it happens time and again. And, And for those that are higher functioning, you can get even higher function. That's right. Right. You can step into this place of greater empathy. That's right. I mean, a lot of what you're talking about in a in a word is empathy. This is called cognitive empathy. There yeah. are two kinds of empathy, cognitive empathy and affective empathy. And affect labeling is a form of cognitive empathy. And what's really cool is once you master cognitive empathy, you develop affective empathy automatically, effortlessly. It's pretty cool. It, it's very cool. Um, all right. So you've mentioned a book de-escalate how to calm anyone in 90 seconds or less um you want to talk about that more or do you want to talk about your other books or is there another one just very briefly de-escalate came about at the request of my incarcerated students and so what i did i designed the book and wrote it uh through the arc of life so the first couple of chapters talk about what affect labeling is what comes from i talk about Lieberman study a little bit about the science behind it. It's not heavy on the science, just enough so people know that this is not pop psychology. It's grounded on in real science. And then we start, I start looking at each chapter takes a different part of our lives. So we start with de-escalating small children, de-escalating preteens and teens, de-escalation and listening in uh, dating life, de-escalating and listening in uh, committed relationships, de-escalating and calming friends, then moving into listening as leaders, um, de-escalating angry students and parents in the school, in the schools, teaching teachers how to use a different kind of classroom control. And then finally, at the very end, as sort of a side note, I talk about this practice as, uh, I talk about this kind of listening as a spiritual practice. And what happens when you engage in this type two listening is that you become egoless and you become one with the person that you're listening to. It's what Eckhart Tolle calls the presence is now, the power of now. And you experience that in a, in a very palpable, real way. 
so that you you you're you become transcendent for about 20 or 30 seconds and it's really quite powerful that's exceptionally powerful if, uh, if any of our audience members have ever experienced that it's where you lose the sense of I am separate from the other. I am. So I'm looking around. I am looking around versus we're just connected. We're just, there's this sense of us. It's really a phenomenal experience. It truly is. And it happens every single time. That's what's so crazy about it. That's so great. Um, Doug, we're coming to the end of our time. I just, I wondered if, um, if people want to reach you, is there another, well, before I ask you that, is there anything that we didn't cover that we could have, uh, or that you were hoping we would cover in this? Well, I, I think the one thing that is really important for people who are listening to understand is this is not a difficult skill to master. This is not going to take you years and years and years of work. It is not out of reach of anybody. You can literally master this skill practicing one hour a week for eight eight weeks. I have had one student who took a little longer than that, but she had a lot of self-worth issues to deal with. Um, this, is a, this is an extremely accessible skill. And when you learn this skill and master it, your life changes forever. Because every time you listen to somebody, you listen them into existence, you're, send, you're throwing a little pebble of peace into the pond of peace. Mm -hmm. And my goal is to create a tsunami and have as many people as possible learning these skills, using them every single day with their children, their partners at work, with perfect strangers and making the world a, a peaceful place. We have all this polarization that's going on right now. Totally unnecessary. All we need, we don't have to agree with each other. All we have to do is listen to each other. All the all the people who are polarized on the far right and the far left, all they want to do is they just want to be heard and recognized. We don't have to agree with them. We just have to listen to them. That's all they want. And when we do that, all the anger goes away. So and, I, and the guarantee that I make to my clients is you'll never have another fight or argument again in your life once you master these skills. Yeah. Amazing. This is awesome. So reach me. My website is Doug Noll, D O U G N O L L dot com. I'm a sole practitioner. I don't have an entourage. You can email me at Doug D O U G at Doug dot com. And uh, I'm totally accessible. That's great. You are accessible. It's so great. Uh, Doug Noll, and you would expect there to be a K in there somewhere. There's not. Be funny if your middle initial were K. It is not. So, uh, well, I don't know if it is or not. Doug Noll, D O U G N O L L dot com, and Doug at Doug Noll dot com. That's awesome. Um, I will encourage our audience to pick up the De Escalate book by Doug Noll. Mm -hmm. Amazon, all the usual places. All the usual places. That's fabulous. Uh, wow, I so appreciate you. I appreciate the work you do. I appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you. In a short time, we've um, we've given a big gift to our audience. You know, every single one of our audience members can now has something to be thinking about and practicing. So absolutely, thanks. So good. so good, Doug. Thanks for being here. Truly, you bet. Cool. My pleasure. All righty. This is...
one sharp sword cutting through to what matters most. My guest today was Doug Knoll, an amazing peacemaker, among other things. And I am Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the Exponential Success Coach. We'll see you here next time. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the Breakthrough Success Coach and your powerful presence mentor.